When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today with me, I have Mikey. Mikey is from the podcast KGUP Presents, and he has his own podcast. And I was actually on his a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm really excited to have him on. He has a lot of cool things he wants to share with us and Speed Bumps in his life. And thank you, Mikey, for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really honored that you invited me to your show. I've been listening to your podcast since you started and you haven't been out there that long, but uh, I took a liking to your, to your interviews and your, your style. So it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I just try and have conversations with people like you're sitting at home, having a conversation with a friend or at a coffee shop or whatever, completely unscripted. So things just kind of go where they go. (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't think I I would be interesting enough to be a guest on your show because I've heard some of your guests and like they just have these like incredible life stories. And I was like, I don't even know how I would contribute to all this because I'm not used to talking about myself, especially personal things. But it's kind of cool because a lot of people ask me personal stuff about myself. And I'm like, well, I am going to be interviewed by like one thumb L on speed bumps. And maybe I'll reveal some stuff about myself that I don't talk about. So. Yeah. See, and honestly, that comment right there is why I started Speed Bumps is, oh, my story's not that interesting. So everyone has a story. And what I found is we're so used to our story. Like, I don't think my story is remarkable at all. And people are like, are you crazy? Like you've been through so much shit. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just my life. Like it's normal to me. But I recognize that when I say things or I tell little pieces of my story, people are like, oh, damn. And everybody has that. Everybody has that. And we we're so used to it. We're so normalized to it that we're just like, yeah, we didn't like, yeah, maybe we went through some shit. Wasn't that crazy. And everyone has those little anecdotes that they tell. And people are like, you did what? And so, yeah, that that's why I have this podcast. You don't have to like have this outrageous thing. And so, yeah, you're everyone is welcome on this show. You don't have to have some crazy ass story because even your quote unquote, what you think are normal, I guarantee you probably aren't to most people. Yeah. So before we start, tell me two of your favorite things about yourself or two things that you love about yourself. Because sometimes when we talk about speed bumps, things can get a little rocky, a little dicey. And I want to start off on a high vibing note. 
Oh man. You know, I had some time to think about this and I, I really didn't know where to even begin because I often don't look at myself in, in that perspective. Um, but I, I, I guess one of the things that I like about myself is that I don't have a big, big ego. Um, I don't seek validation. I just kind of like do my job. Like I work with special, uh, I work in special educations. Mm-hmm. So I'm an educator. So I, I work with kids who have learning disabilities and uh, they're on the autism spectrum. And so their success, their understanding is like my validation, like uh, this past uh, spring, I mean, a bunch of my students graduated. And so it was such a pleasure and like, you know, it, it was a good, great feeling to see them succeed and like actually get the credits to graduate. I mean, I've only been with this school for about a year and a half, so I didn't get to work with them from like ninth grade on. And so like with the, the newer students that I'm working with that are just now coming into ninth grade, I get to work with them from the very beginning. And so you know, I get to have more control about how their grades are and how they, their work habits are. And so, and I, I really want to get to the root and, and try to get them to under, have a better understanding and just have more passion for school because I love school. Um, it, it's crazy because before I got into education, I just never would have thought I would ever work like in a high school or, you know, education setting. And for a while, like my, when I graduated college, my professor was like, you know, you should teach when I decided to, to retire. And she's like, I want you to take over my, my public, uh, public relations class. And so my sites were set to do that for the longest time, but that it just never really worked out. And then we had a, like a little bit of falling out because we had political differences. And so that never happened. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm still very happy with, with the decisions I made. And then um, after we, I, I guess another, the second part of the, the question is that uh, after moving to Texas, I feel like um, I've been pushing myself. I had always wanted to continue my martial arts um, background and, and continue school, but I always felt like I was just too old. You know, it's like, you know, once you start as a kid, you have to continue it and never stop. And so I just felt like that, that would bar my, bar my, ability to continue. And then uh, when we moved to Texas, my wife got a job as a program director at a martial arts studio. And uh, I was like, she, she kind of talked me into it. So I ended up uh, started training and we, we started training together. And, you know, she's a beginner and like the, the school is like brand new. So everybody who started there was like a brand new student. So I didn't feel as awkward. I didn't feel like I was like, you know, just shoot in there and with all these professionals in the background. And uh, so now, now we're, we're learning Krav Maga and kickboxing and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, before that I had like a shoulder injury and I was like living with back pain for like 20 years and then uh, had an ankle and like knee injuries. And so I was really out of shape. And so I, I, I felt like I wasn't going to last long, but after two years, I'm still at it and I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life. And I love doing it because it's, it's fun. I get to learn stuff. And plus I've made a lot of new friends since then. Um, plus I get to train with my wife. Um, and she, she's learning a lot too, as well. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be doing this at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I had, when I started doing this, 
I, I wanted to find an alternative. I wanted to find a way of like exercising because I was just getting older and getting out of shape and I hate running. I hate, I don't like the, the gym culture. And yeah, um, I don't run either. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I like martial arts. I, I mean, I guess, and I, I'm glad I did it because I, I, you know, I go by gyms all the time, but I, and I see guys come out of there and they have this like macho attitude. I'm like, you know, I never want to have that mentality ever again. Cause I used to work out like when I was like 25, I'd work out three to four times a week. And what's crazy about that whole situation is that there, there was just so much peer pressure and I didn't know it at the time because I was in it. You know, you don't realize until you step away that I was being peer pressured to, you know, strength training, throw around a bunch of weight that I wasn't really capable of doing, but somehow I found this like power within me to push. But, you know, at the same time I was destroying my joints, I was tearing muscles and I would have to take days off because I had so many injuries and, you know, I was taking supplements that I, they were kind of questionable. It's like, I would never take some of the supplements now, just knowing, being more aware and more conscious about nutrition and health and eating better. Did you feel um, bad when you had to take those days off too? Oh yeah. I mean, I just, a lot of times I had these injuries that, you know, my arm would be black and blue because I, I would tear something so dramatically. And some of the the ailments were just so bad that I just had to live with like, you know, these bad joint pains in my arm, my elbows and like shoulders. And, you know, I was pushing weight way beyond my own weight and it, it was just really damaging. And I don't know, after, after my car accident, I was like, that, that's my excuse for not working out. <laughs> but I did go through like a major depression, um, you know, because I couldn't work out like I used to. And so I felt like I couldn't hang up with my friends. But, you know, when you think about it, they weren't really my friends. They were just my gym buddies, you know? And so looking back at it, I, 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 I mean, I have no regret at all. And I just feel like a better person now. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say, you know, when you couldn't work out, you went into this depression and I feel like a lot of people, you always hear that cliche. Oh yeah. Just go outside or go for a run or go for a walk and you'll feel better. Um, like I said, I'm not a runner, but if I ever get like really, really upset and I feel like I have all this anger, I would like sprint down a block or two. Um, and then I, you know, I got out all that anger and I'd feel better. And so it wasn't like a regular thing, but that was like, I'm super pissed off and I don't want to do that as my outlet. And so when I was hit by the car and I couldn't even walk, I was like, I I don't know what to do. Right. Like there was no way of expressing all of this anger that you had, um, an exercise, whether it's a consistent thing or even just a random thing is a really good way to get that out. So it doesn't surprise me that after a car accident, you became depressed. I mean, I know a lot of people do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it had to do with the medications that that they were giving me. And, you know, it was just, I feel like a Guinea pig, you know, it's like, Oh, we just got this new medication. You should try it. You know, it's supposed to like, you know, fix the neurons in your, in your back and you'll be able to feel differently and like, you know, heal in hit up doing the opposite, you know, gaining weight, feeling depressed, feeling just out of shape and, and nothing was fulfilling it. It was just, they were just giving me more stuff and giving me antidepressants. And I just never felt like I was getting better. But one day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to cut everything off. Cause I realized most of it was just in my head. 
because everything that they were giving me were, were for my brain, you know, cutting off the pain or cutting off the depression mechanism. And I was like, I, I'm going to just try because I, I never really had an addictive personality. I was, I, I've always been able to just cut off whatever I was doing. And so when I cut off all the medications, just stopped going to the doctor. I mean, it wasn't like they called me and like, Hey, you missed your appointment or, you know, and you missed their physical therapy. No one ever said that. No one really cared. Yeah. And I have to give a disclaimer. That's not medical advice. Don't just randomly go off all your prescriptions for some people that can be really, really bad. Taper off if necessary. Um, We're not doctors. Just, you know, he did what was right for him and that's totally cool. Do what feels right for you. Oh, I, I, I went through horrible withdrawals. Um, you know, when they say like when you get off, because I was, t- I was addicted to Vicodin and I just said that I don't really get addicted, but I you decided to just, are. yeah, I didn't realize I was until I had those, um, those withdrawals and I had yeah. you know the skin crawling, I was hallucinating. And that was like the hardest thing was getting off of Vicodin and, I wasn't even taking that much. I was like maybe taking two a day, but I was like breaking them in fourths and sucking on them because the pain would be so bad. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was Ritalin. I didn't even realize I was addicted to it until I went to go off of it. I was only on five milligrams a day, which is a pretty low dose. Mm. And uh, I went up to like, no joke, 15 cups of coffee a day. Cause I couldn't stay awake without it. Wow. So yeah, like these prescriptions have real side effects. And if you go to the doctor, they're just like, oh, that shouldn't happen. That's super rare. Or here, let me give you another medication because you're having a side effect. But when I can acknowledge that the side effect is from that prescription that we originally prescribed to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do. Uh, I, I used to have these like pill boxes with like, I, I, it's just six or seven. I think, I think it was up to like 10 at one point. I couldn't tell you half of them. Now, when I, when I moved in with my husband, we were consolidating all of our stuff and know like those three cube plastic drawer things that you can get, you know, they like fit about the size of a sheet of paper. And then they're, I don't know, they're like eight inches taller or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I had two of those filled with prescriptions and my husband was like, what, what is this? And I'm like, it's, it's all my bills. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, some of it's an antibiotic that they gave me extra of, or some of it's, you know, this pain medication for this, or some of it's for this. And then he's just like, and you know what all of this is? I was like, yeah, sometimes I take this. And he's like, this isn't normal. He's like, no. you have a pharmacy in your house. And, but to me, it was my normal. And it wasn't until he looked at me and he was like, this is not normal that I started to realize maybe he has a point. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, after that, that car accident and taking all those medications, I, I finally was able to get some kind of like normalcy. And then I went back in the workforce because I was off. I don't know. It, it seemed maybe two years, but it seemed like a lot longer because those two years went by kind of slow and it just felt like a giant vacation. <laughs> and then I started working in the mortgage industry. And until about 2008, and that's when market crash, but I had moved to LA because they, I got into the wholesale business and I was working with uh, uh, lenders or loan officers at the time. And then 
when the market crashed and nobody was like sending me business, I was like, I got to do something else. And so that speed bump led, led me to going back to school. Uh, and I, at that time, around 2007, I started writing for NASCAR just like as a hobby. Um, I, Do you I was say doing, writing or like writing. driving or writing with a pen? Writing with a pen. I was writing, writing articles. Okay. Yeah. And so around that time, they started to like lower my income. And so I wasn't making as much. Um, and I was like, I don't have a degree in journalism. There's no way I'm going to get a job unless I get into writing for NASCAR for another publication. And I was like, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? And, you know, but I really didn't know at the time. So I ended up going to school to, to become a journalist. And uh, lo and behold, like one of my professors, like, oh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I decided to get into radio broadcasting. And that was like the kind of like the same story, like all the journalism majors, like people were making like 30 grand a year. And I was like, I can't live off that. So that's what my big idea was like, I'll get into radio broadcasting. And so, and little did I know that they made just as much money. It wasn't, it wasn't lucrative unless you're like Ryan Seacrest, you know? And uh, so I was like, you know what? I'll start my own radio station or start my own podcast. And then I started like interviewing local artists, started interviewing artists at my school. And that kind of like turned into working with like public relation companies and like uh, different organizations. I was like interviewing their artists and, and that. And then um, around 2010, 2011, I had a, a podcast show with with a friend of mine who uh it was called the pit pass so we were doing nascar again and that that led in t- that led to you know me starting a radio station in 2012 and uh at that same year i started and and uh the artists and music awards which was another music program where that's where i met my wife and uh because she's a music artist and singer songwriter uh but th- at that time um you know, everything was great and how she ended up because she was one of my contestants. We, you know, we, when we met, I mean, we just like made eye contact and we instantly like were, you know, like, Oh my God, what, what's happening. But we tried to stay, um, you know, professional. So for the next year after the awards happened, um, we're like, we're going to announce to, you know, the word we're dating now, but her manager really wanted to just use me to further her career. And so we, she entered her into the next awards and I was like, oh man, so we have to keep it a secret again. And, uh, <laughs> what, what's really funny is that, that, um, we, we tried to stay professional and she legitimately won a bunch of awards that following year, but to the to an outside person who later saw that we were dating and we ended up getting married it looked like it was all fixed but we we tried to make it uh you know i had like this whole judging panel so really the votes were not up to my decision it was based on the public but and so we had judges that saw the votes and kept it honest but you know after after the awards happened we still people try to look at it as like oh you gave her all these awards and they're like well the person who she almost lost to, like they 
only she only won by like seven votes. So it wasn't that far along and I had like nothing to do with the results. So I tried to stay out of it. And then um, after that happened. Um, what, what type you know, of music does your wife sing and write? Uh, at that time, it was like more like uh, Southern rock, okay. uh, rock and roll. And uh, her her manager really didn't like us being together. So he, she had made us break up at one point. And that was like one of the hardest things I had, I, you know, her and I had ever had to deal with because we were still very much in love. But for the, you know, because she she lived with their manager at the time. And so they they wanted to, you know, just focus on her career and not get involved with someone. And so that, that, that was like a tough three months. Um, it, but we, eventually we did get back together and, um, you know, it, it's hard to remember all this stuff. So, so wait, hang on. I, I, I have a question. Was it yeah. like, you, you hear like those songs where it's like, Oh, if you go out on the road, you know, you don't, you shouldn't have your wife or your kids or your friends and things like that. So was it from that aspect or was it like the fact that, she was female and so she's going to attract more um listeners if she looked single like i'm not understanding yeah why like you guys being in a relationship was a bad thing uh she just wanted full control of everything and she didn't want anybody disrupting their relationship and their their dynamic i mean together they were like the dynamic duo they were batman and robin and nothing could, could come between them and so you know, like my wife and I were big Batman fans. And so they would, she would use her, her manager would use that analogy. It's like, well, Batman never got involved with anybody. And so you shouldn't get involved with anybody either. <laughs> she was Sounds like, like the total... manager was in love with your wife. Um, we, we came that, to that conclusion a couple of times, but we don't know for sure. Cause she never admitted it. Um, she, that whole situation is very weird. Um, she started managing her career when she was 12 years old. So every, I mean, she actually like took her from her, her, her mom and like convinced her mom that, oh, if she lives with me, I, I could better her, you know, further her career, make her successful. And that, that's a whole story that, that she's actually wanting to write a book about. And um, yeah, it's not yeah. like some Britney Spears type thing where they like take you and as a kid and like <laughs> groom you and shit. And I'm not saying this would happen to your wife, but you always hear these things of, you know, Oh yeah, we found these kids when they were or these child stars and then, you know, led them as they grew up. And yeah, know, I don't know. That just sounds very, I, I, I would read that book. Yeah. I mean, I, I would that, Oh man, that that was a very tough year, especially when we finally broke off and she, you know, she was, 28 years old when, when she finally was able to get a bank account with on her own name like there's a like a lot of little things about that whole relationship with her manager like she can try to control every aspect of her life and it, it, it was just really strange and bizarre and like anybody looking at it from the outside would be like how the hell was she able to get away with all this and you know but it was your wife's <laughs> normal right Right, right. It's it's funny how when we're put in these situations, we think it's normal, whatever that situation is. Mm -hmm. And then, but to outsiders, you know, it can look totally bizarre. I mean, take something completely really the Amish, right? 
us, we may look at them and go, oh, how do you get around without motorized vehicles or electricity or things like that? But to them, it's totally normal. And they think that we're the weird ones. So it's all about perspective. Right. So yeah, that, that whole, you know, when, when she finally got away from her manager, um, that was like the biggest, I guess you can call it a speed bump, uh, because that was our lowest point. Because uh, around that time, my I had partnered with with another uh, person who with uh, the Artists and Music Awards, and another person was in my life who was trying to like use my my platform to boost her platform, and so we merged the two companies together, and you know it seemed like a good idea, but then she ended up stealing money from me. And, you know, it's a nonprofit organization, so all of it has to be tracked and, like, public and all that stuff. And so what ended up happening is that, um, you know, I had signed the company over to her. I wasn't in charge of any of the finances. So thank thank goodness I had nothing to do with the money. I was just, like, a promoter bringing business, bringing in revenue. And then uh, she, next thing you know, she's, like, flying off to Vegas, and she's flying off to visit her family, using company funds. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I decided to step down. I sent a letter to all the board of directors. I'm like, this is what's going on. I don't want any, any part of this. You guys handle it yourself. And so they, she tried bad-mouthing me with all the contestants for the, for the following year, uh, the contestants of the, uh, who were a part of the, the next, next event. And, um, I was like, I had nothing to do with the money. So this is, this is all on her. And uh, lucky for her, her friend had passed away and left her a bunch of money. So when the IRS came knocking on her door, um, wanting to audit the company, she ended up having to pay everything that she had spent. And uh, otherwise she'd probably be in jail even to this day. Sounds like the BLM founder that like bought all those mansions and shit. Yeah. I mean, we didn't make that much money, but still but like same, same concept. You know what I mean? Like, right. right. So at that point, you know, after I stepped away, her and my wife and I were at this low point of our lives where I was like renting rooms. She was living with a roommate who had a not even, not even a one bedroom. It was just a studio apartment. So, you know, we didn't have a car at the time. And so we were just taking buses to go to work and visit each other. So that was like the low point. And then she, and then to make matters worse, she had lost her job. And then she ended up having to work for this grocery working as a deli counter person. So that, that was like a really, and she had to move in with me, which I was still living in that, you know, tiny bedroom. But she ended up getting a job offer to work in Pasadena and she you know was working as a, like a, a bartender and so we ended up moving to Pasadena and so I quit my teaching job because I was just a student teacher and um, <clears throat> started working for Uber full-time and then I ended up working for that same company as a uh, PR consultant doing promoting all the because it was a concert venue that she worked at and so I ended up interviewing all the music artists that went through the venue. And a lot of them are like, you know, like big time musicians. And uh, that was a cool job. And we ended up getting out of that financial situation. And when life was 
just really good at that point. And around two, two, 2018 is when we got married because we we're at the, what we felt the high point. And um, yeah, that was that, that, up until, I mean, I, I would think about four years. I mean, we were just living and kind of like resetting our lives and trying to like survive. But uh, living in Pasadena and working together, I mean, that was like one of the the things is that we had each other to lean on because, you know, we had gone through so much hardship and, you know, her manager trying to split us up and break us up. And so we just kept sticking it out because we, we had this like foundation of like only talking by text and like, you know, Facebook Messenger for about eight months. We never really had a real date until 2013. And that kind of like solidified and like, you know, we, we had so much in common, you know, when you're, when you work in the, in the entertainment industry, it's, it's always best to be with someone who's in the entertainment industry. Otherwise no one really understands what you, what you go through because it's such a volatile industry and it's up and down. And, uh, you know, when you, when you do have a hardship, no one really understands unless you're in the business. So we've always supported each other. Like she's still in the music industry. I still have my radio station. I'm still doing a podcast. I'm just not doing the award stuff because it's just a money pit unless you have big giant sponsors, you know? Yeah. So. I love that story. I like, I think it's probably the first, uh, I won't say like love story, but like how I met, like, you know, how a couple met on here. And I Mm -hmm. love the, uh, the adversities because just like life or like, okay, think of a tree. If a tree grows without any wind, the roots are super shallow and it just falls over. That's why like trees and like biodomes and stuff, they don't survive. They don't produce a ton of fruit because they don't have strong roots. They've never been put to any tests. Mm-hmm. So while the tests aren't fun, that's not what I'm saying at all. Those <laughs> adversities, those strong winds, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, definitely can make a relationship stronger. And we'll definitely show you if you're meant to be together or not. Yeah. Cause for the longest time we, we had to look at each other from a distance and, you know, even while we were broke up for like three months during the summer of 2013, we were, we were communicating through like Twitter messages for like, I would dedicate a song to her and I'd have like a little lyric that I would pick out of the song that, that made me think of her or like relate our relationship to her. So just little things like that over the course of, you know, three months just made us long for each other even more. And, you know, just those simple communications, like I even, I think I even created a a fake like Facebook account and I friended her and and then her manager was like, she's like, who's this guy, this Max person? And she's like, (laughs) and she, she tried to deny it, but you know, her manager wasn't stupid. (laughs) that's funny that's like i'm still baffled by this whole manager like not letting a grown woman decide who she dates and have a bank account like that still boggles my mind but to your point i've never been in the entertainment industry so i have no I, i have no frame of reference of is that normal is that not normal like how common it is like oh to me that seems very very strange but once again perspective yeah, I, I would compare it to like Elvis 
because his manager controlled every aspect of his life up and up, up until almost when the colonel when he passed away and then uh britney spears's husband or i'm not husband why uh his Your father whatever dad yes yeah. <laughs> that got tongue-tied but yeah i mean i guess it does happen um but it's just weird to actually experience it in my own life and you know i, I was so accepting of her being a part of you know her her life that I was like, well, if we get a house, we have to make sure we have like, you know, like these in-law quarters to, to accommodate oh, her wow. living there. And so in the beginning, like I just, you know, accepted her for who she was and it wasn't going to try to like separate them. And like, who am I, you know, I'm, I'm this outsider coming into to their lives. And so I was willing to make those changes and, and adapt to their lifestyle, you know, even though I wanted to have my life with her and, and create our own future, you know, I just wanted to be included, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's wild. That's like this weird love triangle, but not love triangle because the manager, what, like, I don't, I don't even know, but at some point you guys moved to Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. In um, 2020 went right as the pandemic happened because, you know, we, our lives were getting to, getting to normal. I was getting into, into education. I had a grant to be able to teach my own uh, audio and visual program at my school. I was going to teach kids how to do journalism and do video editing and, like, do, you know, broadcast-style television. And we got a grant for, like, 60 grand to start the, the for in the fall of 2020. And I was going to have my first time ever have my own classroom working with special edu- education students. And then COVID hit. And for and those who don't know, grants are not easy to get. Like, no. I, I just want to point that out. Like, kudos to you because the grants are not easy to get. Writing grants is a pain in the ass. Like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. And at the same time, we had a, a my other business partner. We were continuing to develop my TV show and his channel, because he had a channel on uh, Universe Network, and we were just set up a new studio in January of 2020, and we were going to open on April of 2020. And then, of course, COVID happened and locked everything down. My wife lost her job one week after the lockdowns. I went to my final concert on uh, March 18th. I remember exactly because it was the last concert I went to in LA. And after she got her her uh, notice that she that the restaurant that she worked at was going to be closed forever, I was like, "Let's go to Texas," because <laughs> I I don't I hadn't you know what's funny is that I listened you know we were watching the news for about a week and we were just paranoid and scared and just like everybody else. Yeah, everyone then, was in the beginning, or I would say the vast majority. But what really concerned me is when I, I hadn't listened to Alex Jones since 2016, because I thought he was a nutcase, and he, you know, he built up Donald Trump to be better than he was. You know, he turned out to be a fraud. And I'm sorry for all you Trump fans out there, but <laughs> I just felt like I felt like I was duped. And... <clears throat> I, he said something. He's like, Trump is going to declare martial law. He's going to shut down the, the state borders. And if you're wherever you are, you're going to be trapped. And so I was like, 
I was like, you know what? I, I, I've always taken the, the, the mainstream media with a grain of salt because I know they over-exaggerate to get ratings. Yep. So they, they exploit whatever new story it is just to get people to tune in. I was like, I'm going to take a grain of salt with this because there is some truth in what they say. Alex Jones does say some truth in what he says. And I'm like, let's get out of here just in case. Yeah. <laughs> so three weeks later, we were on our way to Texas to go, you know, because her mom lives out here. And so we ended up staying with her and um, just starting our lives completely over. And uh, I mean, thank goodness, because it's one of the best decisions we ever made because, you know, even though parts of Texas is still kind of blue and uh, they put restrictions on, on just living and mask and all the other, other stuff that they force. Um, they, they didn't do it as much as they do in California. So I'm kind of glad that I wasn't forced to do anything here. And I haven't, I, even to this day, I've never even taken a test because I, I just don't believe in any of that stuff. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm still here. I'm fine. And, uh, living a good life and you know but uh that that was a tough transition because we were saying goodbye to our lives you know we thought we were great but once you step away from like that hollywood scene you don't even realize how much negativity is there until you step away from it like there was a lot of bad energy and when we came here to texas it just felt like our slate was just clean it was like we can actually feel ourselves and not feel the stress. And, you know, because living in L.A., I mean, at one point we were living smack dab in the middle of Hollywood and our rent was like 3000 a month. And <clears throat> there was no way that we, we could do that long term. I mean, it, for a two bedroom apartment, I mean, that's ridiculous. And so we were just living month to month and we had nothing to show for it, like couldn't put money away like you know it, it's it's just constant stress month after month yeah that's, so that, that's why i feel like the gas prices in you know california and like california I feel like it's just a shit show i've never been full, full disclosure everything i've seen is granted you've been on the news or heard from people or things like that but there's nothing in california that makes me like want to be there i'm sure like i've heard like the northern part's supposed to be really nice um, I think Joe and Jen from Legit Bat live up in the northern part of California, if I remember right. But like, I just, I, I don't know, like nothing about California appeals to me. New York City doesn't appeal to me. Um, like, I, I personally don't know how people live there. And then you you hear stories like that where you're like, yeah, I didn't realize all the negativity or I didn't realize um, how expensive things were. Or I, like, I kind of knew, but it was their normal and they leave and they're like, holy shit, not everyone lives this way. Yeah. And you're, you're really pressured to, to do things that where you almost live beyond your means. Like our goal was like living closer to the beach. And so we were like a 20 minute bike ride from, from the beach. I mean, that's how close we were. You know, we live in between Culver city and Venice beach. And right before they started lifting the, law where they would move the uh the homeless people for like from under the bridges and like close to the to the downtown areas and so people could just squat wherever they wanted 
and the cops couldn't do anything. So if they lived outside of your apartment on, on your like porch, you, they couldn't, you couldn't do anything to kick him out. Uh, we had this like RV that was parked in front of our apartment complex and there was nothing we can do. It was such an eyesore. It was obviously a homeless person had lived there, but we couldn't do anything. So wait, like if someone set up camp on a house front porch, even if you own the house, you couldn't do anything or like, like, I need to understand this a little bit better. I I don't know about like private property. I, I think they could like the cops could go over there and like move them. But if they were living on the sidewalk in front of your house that you can't own a public easement. So they could just live there and you couldn't do anything about it. Oh, hell no. (laughs) No, no. And and that must be the reason that all the cities in California, like all the blue cities have all these gun laws, because I guarantee you, you try to do that shit around (laughs) sane people. And they would just Mm -hmm. be like, you can neither leave or I can make you leave. You choose. Yeah. And then Venice Beach itself, it just became a housing development for the homeless. Like they had, it was just tent city. So, you know, we, we, I've had videos where you, we would just ride our bikes along the, the beach and it's just beautiful. And then it just became this like tent city. It looked like um, downtown LA. It's just, or San Francisco on the mission. Like it's just horrible how how the governments you know we we vote these people in because they're they're Democrat they're supposed to be for you know equal rights and all this like stuff that you know you and I probably all believe in the same thing but it, it, they overreach and overextend and then they just take 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 with this illusion of them being you know my, more diverse and like more opportunities but they they take advantage of it so much that they take away just these rights that make no that make no kind of sense at all you know and and like i'm sympathetic to people who have hard times i've had hard times like but to your point three thousand dollars a month for like a small two-bedroom is asinine Mm -hmm. and so these people these quote-unquote homeless people probably some of them probably had jobs they just couldn't afford an exorbitant amount in rent yeah. And I'm not saying like, and that's where, you know, get into this conversation of taxes and, you know, all of that shit and price gouging. And that is not a topic that I am qualified to have a answer on. Um, yeah. All I know is that there are solutions, you know, I've seen um, like veterans, they'll have like those um, like tiny houses or whatever, and they'll set up like communities and you know, they'll maintain the grounds and that's how they pay their rent. But then they can also get another job to like actual get, uh, m- you know, money that we use type deal. And there's definitely solutions, but giving people consistent handouts mm-hmm. is never the answer. I'm right. not saying you can never help anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're on welfare for 60 plus years, and you're a perfectly able-bodied person, I have issue with that. Like, technically, I could go on, I could be classified as permanently disabled, and I could live off the government if I wanted to. Totally. Like, and I know I could, because I've had doctors 
tell me that I could and be like, yeah, we'll just fill it out. You can have it in a week. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. And they've looked at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Are, are there people? So my sister has cerebral palsy. Does she need government assistance? Cause she can't get an actual full-time job or take care of herself. Yes. Those are not the people I'm talking about. So don't come at me. I'm talking about the able-bodied people who just live off the government for money. Those are the ones I have issues with. Yeah. And they're constantly looking for a way of manipulating the system in order to make money so they can have their their life so they don't have to actually get a real job. Yeah. Or like, I I love the single moms who choose to be single. Like they live with a guy because if they get married, then they lose all the benefits. Like my stepdaughter's mother. Like if she got married, she would lose all those things. But if she claims she's a single mother and she takes one class at a community college and extends this degree out for an exorbitant amount of time, then she gets these free student loans and free college and meal plans for her and meal plans for the daughter and free rent money. And I'm just like, yeah, why do we allow this? There's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. Because it creates jobs. It circulates money. So they just want to keep this system going so they can just, you know, it's just like the um, the homeless programs in, in, in L.A. that they, they, they were just disgusting. I mean, they have the ability of solving most of the homelessness in, in L.A. You know, they can create they can take over buildings that have been abandoned for for decades. Yeah, it's like Detroit. They, and they could turn him into, you know, public housing for the homeless, that re- people that really need it. But they, they, you know, every, every mayor that they all promise to do the same thing, but they only do so much. The required amount, which is only like 7%, and it's probably less than that. Some, it depends on the state and the county. Some only force you to spend 3% on the actual intent that you created the the program for and so they they look for these contractors to build these high-rise or uh, these apartment complexes just to bring in money and so the problem is never solved and only a small percentage of each dwelling has to go towards uh, low income and so that low income program satisfies the the homelessness and yet those the the homeless i mean the 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 low income programs you know, they're only designed to help single fam- single women with like multiple kids yeah they don't even they don't even consider or even look at the the individuals like like veterans or someone who's chronically uh unemployed that they, they won't they just won't even help them they'll, or, they'll give know, them a heaven forbid the nuclear family that fell on hard times right right yeah so it's good. So my husband works for an HVAC company. And so he, they do like um, commercial things. So let's say your local bank, but then they also do schools. And I'm going to make up numbers here. Let's say uh, the hourly rate for an electrician at the bank is $20 an hour. And I'm, and I'm grossly underestimating these numbers. I, <laughs> but the school, there's like, it's called a prevailing wage. And the school for that same job has to, they'll pay that same electrician like $60 an hour. Mm -hmm. And then the building materials, they then use, 
the own city to get grants. So the school pays less in the schools in the city. So the building materials are less and building materials right now, if plywood was $5 a sheet is now like $15 a sheet, but they only have to pay $5. But then the bid is written up as like $20 a sheet in the amount of mental math gymnastics that go into these city bids mm-hmm. or school. I, I just know schools offhand um, is asinine. And they're pulling the wool over on these taxpayers being like, yeah, we totally need uh, this amount of money for the schools and the schools need this for heating and they need this. And no, like they're just stealing the money from the schools. Yep. And I guarantee you, you want to know the air quality of your kid's school. I guarantee you half of them don't have air filters in your HVAC system. I guarantee you at least one of the heaters is down in your kid's school or the air conditioning doesn't work. Like the building maintenance in these schools, at least in Connecticut is awful. Like oh, these sure. kids should not be going into these buildings. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Even just recently, I was reading an article about how the, uh, in Uvalde, Texas and how the, the school just voted like four days ago, five days ago, they voted on building a new school and raising property taxes and they they declared a state of emergency and i'm like what authority do they have to declare their own state of emergency i thought that was the job of the governor wait the but city they, declared a state of emergency yes uh either the this the city board of supervisors they declared a, a state of emergency so they decided to just lock down the school and they're building a new school without voter approval so what happens is that, well, where's the money going to come from? They're just going to raise property taxes to cover the cost of this new school. And nobody got to vote on it. Nobody. Because they declared a state of emergency. They can override public vote. So I'm like, these people don't make that much money. They're barely middle class. If at best, it's, it's a farming community, community, so they don't make that much money. So if their houses are paid for, they still have to pay property taxes. And it's going to go way, skyrocket. I mean, it's just like like here in Dallas. I mean, our, our property taxes went up $200 a year and they assess the properties every freaking year. And what they're doing, they're just pricing us out. Like my neighborhood, people are just, uh, they're just leaving and they're selling their properties because it's the, 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 the property values went enormously out, like 150000 inside of two years which is ridiculous. I mean, this reminds me of what happened in 2008 and this is not sustainable. Yeah. They, they keep saying, Oh, it's nothing like 2008. I was like, yeah, at least 2008 gas never got about $5 a gallon. Like right. this is worse than 2008. Yeah. You know, and my, my husband was telling me about how, um, so no, in a larger ish suburb, there's usually multiple elementary schools, like two or three middle schools and usually like one high school, right? Mm -hmm. That's roughly what things are. And depending upon where you live, that determines where your element, where elementary school, your children go to. And there's always like this one elementary school that tends to underperform or is in like the lower part of town or the poorer part of town or whatever. So apparently my husband's friend bought a house knowing what school his children would go to. And that's 
he was okay with that. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to him, the city redrew the lines for the elementary schools. So now mm-hmm. his children were going to have to go to the lower end of town. It's not that he was opposed to that, but a lot of the kids in that school were failing because the teachers couldn't get a control of the classrooms and things like that. And I don't know if this is in every state, but apparently in the state of Connecticut, if the child's school doesn't meet state standards, you can sue the state of Connecticut to have your child go to another school because the school that they were assigned to go is underperforming mm-hmm. and the state has to pay and or, and or allow your child to go to another school. So either pay for private school or your child has to be able to go to another school. And I don't know uh, if that's everywhere, but that blew my mind. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. I mean, it sounds, I mean, that I think the system in California was kind of like designed that way too. And um, <clears throat> I was just thinking about, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but it makes you worry about those state tests though, right? Like if that's yeah. how they determine the funding or the scores of the schools, how do we, re- we already know about voter fraud. You really think they're not doing that with your kids' tests to get more state money and shit like that? Yeah. I mean, oh God, there's so much fraud. I, I, I can't stand it. And the education system, like, uh, you, they're like the the fall semester is starting in July, and I'm like, we haven't even hit the peak temperatures here, and it's probably going to be one of the hottest summers that you know since 2018, and uh, it, it it's just crazy how they just want our kids in school more and more, and like e- even. Um, uh, who, the vice president was saying that she wanted to extend school until 6 p.m. I'm like, who wants their kids to be in school for that long of a period? I mean, it's insane how <laughs> the parents or whoever picks up their kids are there at like one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, don't they have jobs? Like, and then they sit in the, in the on the streets waiting for to pick up their kids an hour or two hours before they're supposed to pick them up. So I'm like, how how are these people just like sitting there in their cars for that long of a period? Like, I don't know anybody who who has that ability to just stay be a stay home at stay at home mom, you know. Like maybe one person that I know. Well, okay, and here's the thing: even if you're a stay at home mom, usually you're doing shit. The only mm-hmm. people that I know of that can just go sit in their car on a regular basis and wait for their kid for hours are the ones living off the government. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> like, because even if you work at home, if you're a stay at home parent, whatever, like you're typically still doing something. You have errands. Like another kid has a doctor appointment. Like, I don't know. There's always something. Yeah. The, the only ones that I know of that sit around and do nothing are living off the government because they don't have to do anything. Right. Yeah, there's so much corruption and taking advantage of the system and, you know, with, with gas prices and everything that's happening and, and I don't know. I saw this thing. thing. There's a county in Michigan that they've already, a police department has already blown through their fuel budget for the year. And so we'll now only be responding to some 911 calls via phone and won't actually send an officer out because they don't have the money for fuel. What? Oh, wow. 
if criminals got a word of that, I mean, it'll just be an open field day for them. It's June, people. There's still six months uh, more. And if you think that it, like, okay, so you're in Texas, you don't have snow, but other parts of the country, <laughs> but like snow, salt trucks, um, garbage pickup, all of these mm. vehicles require fuel. Right. What are, like, I don't think people realize how bad this could get. Oh, um, I don't know if you're aware, but there was an article that uh, revealed why the gas prices are gone up. The UAE, we've had a relationship with them since 1972 that Nixon signed. So because we had, he signed the bill that got rid of the, the gold standard. So our money was not stopped being connected to, to uh, gold. Right. It was being connected to oil. And because we had a, a relationship with the UAE that um, we are, they just had an agreement that we would pay everything and it was support, it was supported by, by oil. But um, last week, the UAE made an agreement with China. So what happened, that is what is rising up the, the gas prices because we're no longer being our, our tax dollar or our dollar is not supported by oil. It's because now they have a relationship with China, no longer with the United States. So it it's driving be, the cost. It used to be the U.S. petrodollar. It was the gold standard. Now, and then yes. it was U.S. petrodollar. And if correct. And while I don't think Trump is a savior or anything like that, I do know that gas prices were lower under him. And we, at one point, were able to export oil because we had excess oil in our country. If we went back to that, and Grangeway, I understand we can't just flip a switch and the pipelines turn on and the gas, you know, magically goes down overnight. I'm not that naive. But the fact that we have these pipelines and we're not using them, that that's manufactured to me. Like yeah. yeah, we we are definitely hurting ourselves. And you know the the oil companies are profiting off of it. They don't really care. It, it's kind of like the pharmaceutical companies got their their big payoff with pushing everybody to get the vaccine. So they are making a killing off of forcing everybody to get the vaccine. Now it's time for you know who who else who, whoever is next in line to make a profit during this these crises. And now the oil companies are making a profit. So it it seems like we're not. You know, it, it's there's a shortage, but really, it's just so the the oil companies can make a huge profit off of this. And when a lot of people don't think they realize, the oil companies and pharma are connected because some of the drugs that you take are from, uh, like, from processing gasoline. Yeah, you know, gasoline exactly. is a product of refining gas, getting the gas you can put in your car. So. Big farm and big oil are in bed together, in case y'all didn't know. I mean, almost everything that we we rely on, like all the, you know, our, our phones, our, our our plastic containers, every like ninety percent of everything that we use that it's in our house is all derived from from petroleum in yes. some way. So I mean, this. Uh... I, I'm not looking forward to what's going to happen in the next couple couple of years. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's going to get worse. And, you know, I think eventually it'll be 
work out somehow. Don't, don't ask me how. Um, but optimistic realist, I guess I'll, I'll label myself. Um, mm-hmm. I recognize that it's going to get hard for a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I've said this before, go make friends with your neighbors. If you're living in a more rural area, uh, make friends with a farmer, get some chickens, get some quail, grow a garden, learn how to make sourdough, get some skills that if you need to barter, you can barter, um, get cans of vegetables at the dollar store. Like, is it organic? No. Is it still in a tin can or whatever? Yeah, but it'll still feed you. So pick your struggle. Um, prepare, like, I'm not saying you have to go out and get a bunker, but if you normally buy uh, two boxes of noodles, buy three, like yeah. every little bit helps. I actually um, have been interested in learning how to ferment my own yeast because <clears throat> I had always wondered how people could, you know, they would show movies like in the old days and like, and someone would just have like, a potato and then have like a giant piece of bread and a small piece of meat. And I'm like, how the heck are you going to survive off of that for, for, you know, a 24 hour period. But the yeast back in those days actually had nutrients in it and had protein. Yep. So you could survive off of bread, but these days they've taken, there's, it's all this like fast yeast, the quick yeast and has no nutrients at all. It just speeds up the process of bread. And yeah. I just recently learned like how to make real bread. And so like, that's like another thing that I'm like trying to like learn. I'm like, I got into gardening this year for the first time and, you know, trying to like learn how to live off the grid just in case shit goes down and, and, you know, like we're investing in this like whole geoship dome thing and um, where you own like a geodesic dome and you just put it on a piece of land for you know, actually I have a friend who owns land uh, that's South of Dallas that uh, you know, we belong to a community where, you know, hopefully most of us are going to like live and create a commune, but a lot of us are still stuck into this like whole, like, you know, mainstream paradigm where, you know, you, you know, we're, we're still plugged into the matrix you know, and, and I think that even for myself, like I'm mentally trying to prepare, it's like one of the hardest things is like disconnecting from the matrix and like living on our own and having a commune and living in this like, you know, almost uh, um, like, like what's that group of people that the, the Amish, like oh, the yeah. Amish people and like living in that, that type of society. And, uh, you know, I mean, I am considering it. <laughs> I, I hope it never gets that far because I mean, right. there are certain creature comforts that I like. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to pretend and be like, yeah, I could totally pick up today and live off grid. And I know how to support my, like, no, I'm no, that, that would be bullshitting. And I don't do that. I don't sugarcoat <laughs> shit or bullshit. Um, like I like a diffuser going at night and I like a fan going and I like my nice pillow and okay. Like no shame in those things. Um, but I did learn how to make sourdough. And to your point, like people are like, Oh yeah, I I can't eat gluten. I'm allergic. Okay. Are you allergic to gluten or glycophosphate? There's a difference. You know, there's people who say they go to Europe and they eat pastries and for, uh, 
breakfast every day and they eat noodles for dinner and they eat all these quote unquote things that are supposed to be bad for you. And they will have come back and lost weight, but that's because mm-hmm. their food isn't enriched with iron and sprayed with glycophosphate and all the organic stuff that we pay extra for like organic yeah. kinds ketchup. That's just their normal ketchup in Europe. Like they're just not filled with much processed shit. Like yep. baby formula in Europe is much better. So the fact that he was like Biden or someone in his administration was trying to say, oh, they don't have um, the same regulations. No, they have more. Like if yeah. I ever had to get formula, it would be from Europe. Oh, totally. Yeah. Same thing with makeup. Like their their standards are so much higher. Yeah. So yeah, you, you were just saying how, you know, I, I don't want to, like admit it sometimes, but it would be difficult to just go from this life to living, you know, all of us going to have to rely on nature when everything around me is still going to function and operate. I, you know, but if it comes to a point where they're forcing us to take something that, you know, medical procedure that we don't want to take, I don't want to subject myself to that. Neither do my wife. And, you know, if, if, push comes to shove. I mean, we are going to get off the grid and, you know, I just want to be prepared, you know, just in case. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being prepared. That's like practicing for a fire or, you know, if you live in a flood zone, what you're going to do or a hurricane or a tornado, like I hope people don't take it as we're trying to fear monger because there are certain things that you should be prepared for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you live in a state that snows regularly, having a blanket in your car and some food and water in case you get stuck isn't a bad thing. It's not a scare tactic. That's just smart, yeah. right? So it's preparing and not being fearful about it. Just mm-hmm. recognizing, hey, this could happen. And having extra food isn't bad either. If you lose your job or whatever, or you can't afford food, having that extra food is going to feed your family because you don't have to buy it. And then you can pay rent and still have the roof over your head. Like people are like, oh, if you're hoarding or preparing or canning, or you know how to make sourdough, you're a prepper. No, I just, you know, would rather eat homemade jelly than, you know, smuckers. Like, yeah, that's not some weird prepper thing. That's just more nutritious food. Yeah. Since eating more, being more conscious about what I put on my body, like I'm very sensitive to eating, like just like you mentioned smoker's jelly. Like I can't even eat anymore because it just makes me sick. I can't. <laughs> I mean, the first ingredient in is high fructose corn syrup. And so I, I just, I haven't eaten that garbage in a couple of years. I just don't even put that on my body. No. Like every once in a while, we, you know, my wife just has a craving for a slushy and I'm like, all right, <laughs> it's only once. Well, and like, okay. So are there things that like, I like to eat that maybe aren't great. Like I love dark chocolate, peanut butter cups, um, yeah. you know, or like everyone's smile, have an ice cream or whatever. It's like the 80, 20, 85, 15 rule. If the majority of the time, the vast majority you're doing good, like mm-hmm. don't, most people right now are not in a state where they have to live in deprivation. They have to you deny themselves all pleasures unless you're in some weird opus day, some bullshit. Like, I don't know, but like treat yourself. It's okay. Like the world's not going to end. If you all have an ice cream with some food dye right. in it, but don't eat right. it every night. Right. Yeah. Like I, I can't say that I'm a hundred percent vegan. 
but I don't eat meat. Like we tend to follow the Torah because the way that I've been interpreting the Torah is that it's really designed for you to just live a healthier life. Like you don't eat, you know, animals that have been eating, you know, they spend their life eating garbage, like, like pigs. We don't eat pigs and uh, we don't eat, uh, we stop eating shellfish because they, they're the bottom dwellers of the ocean. And really like, like um, it, it took most of my life to realize that clams and, and oysters and they cleanse the water. So we don't want to deplete the, the oceans of the, this creature that cleans the water. Yeah. So we, and we're ingesting something that eats the filth off the ground. So we're not going to eat that either. <laughs> Even though I love shrimp, I love lobster. I love all those things. Like I love the smell of like beef and chicken and, you know, I love food, but I don't eat it. <laughs> I just, so my thing with that is we get the organic grass fed, like fr- we go into like, we buy part of a cow with somebody and we know where that cow is from. Same yeah. thing with the chicken, things like that. Um, right around, right around when COVID started, I would say maybe that summer, um, my husband and I started noticing, like we were trying to transition more to like the grass fed stuff, but it wasn't high on the priority list yet. Yeah. And so we had gone to the grocery store and got some meats. We were going to make burgers for some friends and went to the grocery store, drove back. Um, so it was maybe out of the freezer fridge area. So it was, you know, uh, in the fridge, um, for like maybe 15 minutes max. Like it was so cold by the time we got it home. Um, and we cut it open and it smelled rotten. Mm. And that happened for a year and a half. Um, we got to a point that we wouldn't buy grocery store meat anymore because every single time we would open it, uh, it was rotten or it smelled rotten. It looked okay. Um, yeah. But you could even see like in the store, like the vacuum sealed packages, instead of it being like having that dip in it, mm-hmm. it would actually be bubbled up. Ooh, that's a sign it's bad. Right. But if you looked at the expiration date or you looked at it, it looked totally fine. Um, and so like, we can't, at least I can't, I won't speak for my husband. I can't eat, um, out at many restaurants anymore because that food is all the same way. And it makes me sick. Hmm. So I, like, I don't know what it is, but all the beef for like two years that we found in a grocery store was rotten every time, every single time. Yeah, I don't trust the the meat packing plants at all. So, if if I was going to eat meat, it would, I I wouldn't want to be able to source it and know where it came from and how that animal was treated before I was going to eat it. And it that kind of meat is very expensive. <laughs> so, it is but, if you go to it is if you buy like one package of like if you happen to have like a little farm stand it can be if you have like a little um just like buy one package of meat but that's mm-hmm. why people you see now they'll go in they'll get a couple friends and they'll buy a whole cow yeah. you know and it brings the price down significantly and you're then supporting a local farmer and you're su- like all of the things and you know where it comes from and people are like oh I could never pay that much but then they go out and spend you know, $150 for a date night with their spouse. Yeah. Exactly. But, but they can't, they couldn't fathom spending, I don't know, 
eight, nine dollars for a pound of ground beef. Or $150 for several meals. I mean, put that yeah. in perspective. Right. My family like- used to do that. Um, they, they would have uh, friends and they would buy a, a whole cow and they would split it up and have the butcher cut it up and then they would be able to freeze it for a whole year. And that's how we ate for, for many years. And I don't know when we stopped doing that, but that became normal. You know, I, I completely forgot about all that. Yeah. It, it, it's these things that we just forget about because they weren't, they're not right in front of us anymore. And, you know, yeah, we could blow basically weeks worth of groceries in one night and we're okay with that, but $200 grocery bill, we freak out about it's, yeah. it's the priorities and it's, you can either, in my opinion, pay for better quality food now, better quality water, you know, invest in a water filter and things like that. They are investments. Or you can give your money to big pharma because you're going to end up being sick more often. Yeah. We used to get three flats of eggs for not even $3 and they would last, they would last us for like months and we would still have them. We'd still eat them and they would be just as fresh as, as the first day. But chickens who that, that lay eggs are in their natural environment will produce eggs that you can hold on for months and months at a time. You can't do that with a, a store-bought egg. I mean, they go bad after a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a local farm that we actually get ours from. And a lot of times um, she'll wash them, some, some of them, and then we'll have to put them in the fridge. Although the one, sometimes we'll ask for her not to wash them. And then we'll actually water glass our eggs. So that's an experiment that we're also trying out right now is water glassing eggs. Have you heard of that? That I don't remember. I, I don't recall. I, I know what you're talking about. I just don't remember. Yeah. So it like, it's super simple. It's a quart of water to one ounce of lime or calcium hydroxide. They're the same thing. And you put fresh eggs. So like from the coop eggs, like never wash, never put in a fridge, they still have that bloom on them, that perfect, that protected membrane. Mm-hmm. And then you can put them in this solution and they can last um, up to a year. Some people say 18 months and you just store them in, in a food, safe food grade, safe bucket, or like a large Mason jar mm. and a two and a half gallon bucket holds five dozen eggs. If anyone's curious and yeah, and then and no, no refrigeration. They can just sit on a shelf. So, yeah, that was just told to me that you put it in a solution. But I didn't know what that solution was. <laughs> yeah, filtered water and calcium hydroxide. Wow. It, it, and it's it wasn't crazy expensive. It was super easy. Like, yeah, we have calcium hydroxide in our chemistry lab. <laughs> yeah, this is like a powdered version. They use yeah. it in like um, pickling and stuff. So you'll find it in like the pickling or canning section. So they also have in the garden section. Don't use the garden stuff, people. There's other stuff in there. Like, <laughs> Awesome. Wow. I can't think of, uh, I'm trying to think of another speed bump, but. Um, Your podcast, uh, you said you, you, you used to go from radio or not radio, but like music artists, but you don't mm-hmm. do that now in your podcast though, right? No. Yeah. I, yeah. I that was another that. speed bump because, um, you know, during, during the whole pandemic, and right before I, you know, like when I discovered the, um, about COVID and everything, cause I, I heard, w- heard about it way before it even, even happened. 
And so I was like really getting into, into conspiracies and like, you know, there was a lot of fishy stuff about what I was seeing from China and like, you know, people falling over and convulsing. And I was like, you know, this seems like disinformation, but little alarm bells. Yeah. But the, the lockdowns were very real. And <clears throat> when it finally happened here, you know, at that same time, I was discovering just so many things and and. I had always wanted to change my, the the format of my show because I've I've always been more interested in about revealing truth and like all these conspiracies and what's real and what isn't. And uh, a lot of the shows that I listen to are, are in and actually my show is really designed supporting broadcasters that that I love listening to. Like if you go to my front page on kgp1065.com and he has all the shows that that I recommend. And you're one of them, speed bumps. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, that's basically who I interview is just shows who I, you know, inspire to be like or I admire. And, you know, I, I just, I had no relation to to a lot of the, the artists that, that I promote. I mean, I love music, but some of their ideals I just don't agree with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I just not, I just don't feel like I'm a part of like the whole mainstream you know, deception, like almost a hundred percent of everything that we see on the news, just it, it's all, it's all fantasy. It's all fiction. Yeah. And what you think is reality really isn't real at all. I mean, there's a lot of paid actors. There's a lot of stories that are out there. They're all, you know, like the turtle in the windshield. If you ever looked into that between 2017 to 2019, there's been several stories all over the country where turtles just magically just fly into your windshield that, that's a this. that is a fake made-up story look it up and you'll find a bunch of stories on like on youtube and it's it's just filler that people find it very fascinating and, and somehow some woman or a person like you know a turtle will fly through the windshield and and cause havoc and it's it's, it's a totally made-up story it's not real yeah that doesn't sound real (laughs) yeah it's total it's total bullshit (laughs) yeah that i'm like okay maybe you had a deer like i've heard of a deer flying through a windshield but oh yeah that's very common like why isn't that a story yeah like uh, okay all right turtles and windshields didn't know that was a thing and apparently it's not but you know yeah but um yeah and you know my friend he's he's a writer in la and i you know, I have a graduating class and they, they, they're all over the country. And, you know, so I hear like different perspectives and, you know, like when COVID hit, everybody got quiet when we were starting to talk about COVID because nobody really wants to talk about it because they don't want to admit that it's not a real thing. And we're forced to do certain things and, and like wear masks and forced to take a vaccine. But what I, what I, what I've discovered is that when you've, when people who have taken a vaccine, they don't want to admit that they did the wrong thing. And so that conversation is very sensitive. So I don't bring it up to people who have had the vaccine. I only talk with, with people who've resisted and know, done a lot of research and don't, can't see how this is like a good thing that, you know, this MRNA, like, you know, we, we don't know what's going to, what's going to happen in 10 years from now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how <clears throat> like we, we just finished watching candy and then it's very convenient how 
everything just started happening. Like, like she murdered her friend who, uh, you know, it, it just happened to be on Friday the 13th, the same night that Friday the 13th premiered and how Halloween just happened to premiere that same year. And so it's like, she got away with murder, but it's like, did she really murder that person? Or is that story completely made up? And, and it makes you like really wonder and think like how much of, of our history has been made up as well. Oh, yeah. and they have all these narratives and it's possible that she could have been one of those people who did uh, hallucinogenics in, in the late sixties. And maybe 10 years from that point, she went completely nuts because it's still in her system. You know, when I, when I came out of high school, I wanted to join the Navy because I wanted to be, I wanted to work in the, the, the medical industry the medical industry and work as like an x-ray technician. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told them I did, I did acid when I was in uh, a freshman and, you know, I, I didn't have any like repercussions or, or any what you, after effects or anything like that. Or like, well, according to our research, it can stay in your system for at least 10 years. And we don't know what the, the adverse effects are going to be from you using, you know, hallucinogens. And so it made me think like, well, back in the 60s and when they were pushing it, that a lot of people started having these like they, they started just having mass killings in the late 70s, which is about 10 years from when all that started, that, that it all began. So that whole story about candy, it, it, it's just very interesting. It's either made up or it's a result of people doing hallucinogens back in those days. I so. I heard this thing and I don't remember what podcast it was on, but, um, cause I listen to a lot as I'm driving or cleaning or whatever. Um, it's just constantly, they're constantly playing in the background on this rotating random thing. Um, but they're talking about how everyone used to be afraid of serial killers. Right. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, don't go out at night because the serial killer is going to get you and blah, blah, blah. And then nine 11 happened and it was the terrorists or the lone gunmen, right. You know, they're going to, come with a bomb or a gun or you know crash an airplane and now it's the mass shootings yeah so i'm not saying those things are fake or anything like that there's definitely strange parts of them and uh that make me question the official narrative i'll say that Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting how there's always this something to be afraid of you know it used to be the Cold War with the Russians and the Russian spies. And um, we're always given something to be afraid of. Oh, yeah. And are those, is, 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 it, is it really just the boogeyman that we're being told to be afraid of? You know, that, that boogeyman in the closet that's not real, but we make it real and make this egregore real. And I don't know, yeah. it makes you wonder. Where we're in the halfway point of Biden's presidency. And mm-hmm. If you look back during Obama's uh, presidency, the same thing happened during the mid mid part of his presidency. And so all these mass shootings were just miraculously happening all around the same time. Um, Mid-term of his presidency, and it's happening right now. And it's very convenient how it's it's all happening within like, like a few months of each other, you know? Yeah, it's just just like 1977, and he also, The Shining had also came out, and Candy murdered that woman with a with an axe, 
And so they're just trying to normalize the violence. So, and then, you know, Ted Bundy shortly came on after that and all these like serial killers. So it, it, it's all programming us to, to normalize a narrative that they want us to feel and think and like protest against. I mean, look at politics in general. I mean, people can't agree on anything. And the the polarization is so far distant from each other, and they, they want us to just never agree on any single thing, and they want you to believe everything that you see on television, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's, let's say there's only five topics to agree on. I know there's many more, but let's say me and you agree on four out of the five, they're going to divide us on that fifth one. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not bad that we disagree. It's not bad that we have differing viewpoints on things. It's how you can actually solve problems by looking at things from different viewpoints, but it's turned into if your opinions don't match exactly 100%, you're demonized. Yeah. And you're I've noticed enemy. it even in this, like, I won't say like the, the truth or community or the conspiracy or like whatever, or the, I just, those who don't follow mainstream. If you don't, for most people, if you don't agree with them 100%, you're ostracized. Yeah or, you know, you're bad, or you're an idiot because you don't believe in this. And I'm like, if we just got together, we would be really, really strong. Cause there's so many more of the same people, but we get stuck yeah. on these little topics and then get mad at each other and don't talk. It's like high school all over again. Yeah. And I started to notice a huge change in about 2015, right around the time that Trump was announcing that he was going to run for president. And I saw, cause I, at that time I was subscribing to all the press releases. So I was getting, I was like on EIN and like all these like news wires. And so I was getting all these articles and they were just really fishy because none of them had any kind of like citations. They weren't revealing the sources. They were just stories like Trump did this and this and this, and this Republican did this. And it was just a bunch of hyperbole and rhetoric they had no like really validation of where this source came from. It was just a bunch of like speculation and, you know, it wasn't a traditional type of journalistic like articles. Like they had any, any validation at all there. You, you couldn't source anything. It was just like, you had to just believe it. And people started like, and then in real time, the news was spitting out, all this information and as if it was true. And I was in every news news organization was just saying the same thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, they're, they're spreading fake news in real time. I'm seeing it before it even happens. I'm seeing the, the sourced articles, which are nothing. And we're expected to believe this without checking. I mean, I know for a fact, there's no, there's no phone calls, you know, cause that was around the time when like between 2012 and 2015, when, everything started to like really flip and nobody had any money. So there was no copy editing. There was no fact checking. It was just the articles being written by one person and it would go to the managing editor and they would make the decision whether to squash it or publish it. And it was, it was just a really weird transition in journalism. And so I was like, I don't want to work in an industry that has no, no integrity. And like, I even interviewed with a major, I don't want to say the name of the the publication, but, but they, they declined me because I wanted to stay neutral. They, I didn't want to pick a side politically. 
because they straight up asked me, well, what's your political preference? And I'm like, well, I don't really have a political preference. I just want to I just want to report the news. Yeah. And they they both looked at each other and they just kind of like laughed and they're like, well, after the interview, like, it seems like this isn't a, a good fit for you because, you know, politically we, we pick a side. Obviously, this is very democratic. So we're going to support all democratic policies and, and political views. And I'm like, oh, crap. And that I was very naive, naive at the time. I just wanted an internship and just get my foot in the door. And they're like, well, you might be better suited for like Fox News or like some conservative platform. I'm like, I, I don't want to work for a conservative platform. And they're like, well, why are you here? And I'm like, well, because I want to report the news. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. That, that was like my first indication, like, oh, man, this is really screwed up. This, yeah. this is all political and, and I have to pick a side. So that's yeah, when and- I, I decided to not get into politics at all. <laughs> yeah no it's funny because something similar happens in science where if you don't get a result for an experiment or you don't get the result that you're looking for you don't publish that data mm. so the funny thing is that science is all about reproducibility if i can make this glass of water turn blue by doing x y and z you should be able to make the same glass of water turn blue by doing x y and z right Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't, very few, it's very unlikely that you're going to publish a paper that said I'm wrong. And it's very, even if you did want to do it, a lot of the publications won't take your paper. Mm. So everyone's like, oh, well, I've never seen any articles that say vaccines cause autism, or I've never seen any articles that say that the mRNA in the vaccine is bad, or I've never, well, no, you're not going to one, because the, these publications are just as political as Fox news, CNN, whatever. You just don't realize it. Yeah. And like, they don't want to publish negative data. They don't want to publish something that doesn't work. And I think that's right. a failure in science. I mean, it's just like acetaminophen, you know, yeah, Tylenol, yeah, women think that it's safe to take while they're pregnant. And I've always had a bad feeling about taking Tylenol and all that stuff. Like it never did anything for headaches for me anyway. Yeah. So why would I take something that doesn't necessarily work, but you think it works? <laughs> and yet that is possibly linked to autism. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they just found this out a few months ago. Or it was reported a few months ago. Let, let me word it that way. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I have so many issues with farmland science. It could be a show on its own. <laughs> yeah. I used to work for an organization in Los Angeles that exclusively was for, you know, kids with autism. And I always find it very fishy that <clears throat> an entire family would have three kids you know, two, three, four years apart, but they all had autism, like really severe autism. And yet they all had the same physician and vaccine schedule and no one ever put the two and two together. Did they ever Uh, say it was genetic? You know, it didn't seem like it because the, the, the parents were fully healthy and like, I don't know. 
I'm surprised they didn't give the whole, oh, well, it, it, you know, it it had to be genetic somehow. Like you're both carriers because having that many kids with autism, it's either genetic or it's something that you're all doing, or you have a gene that gets turned on or activated or turned off or, you know, depending upon the thing by the vaccines. And no one wants Mm. to look at that either. Like the MHFTR gene. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a whole rabbit hole people can go down. I'm not going to do a show on that right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's always been like a lot of things just working in that field, you know, for the few years that I did. And uh, people just don't want to admit that maybe there is a correlation or they just can't because it would affect their funding, you know. Right. I can't speak for funding is probably why doctors and foundations and things like that can't admit it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think for parents, I mean, I feel like that would be a really hard thing to admit to yourself, right? That a decision that you made harmed your child. And I'm not blaming any parent to be clear. I believe that you probably did what you thought was best at the time and you trusted your doctor and um, they gave you no reason not to trust them. And but I feel like for a lot of parents, that would be a really heavy burden to bear. And a lot of these parents now that are anti-vaxxers or just ex-vaxxers, ex-vaxxers who their kid got hurt and they saw the light and, uh, you know, and, and I feel for those parents because that would be a really hard thing to live with, in my opinion. And you have to forgive yourself for the things you didn't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Even my mom, she, um, she got diagnosed with vasculitis mm-hmm. back in like 2004, maybe 2002. I, I don't remember. It's been so long. And her doctor has been the same doctor has been treating her ever since. And it's kind of like, I've always just been like wanting her to do something more holistic. Like I wanted her to try CBD and like get off certain medications mm-hmm. that were for, you know, for inflammation and I'm like, is that really helping you? Because you seem to be getting worse every time you they give you a different medication. And she's just one of those people who just always believed every word the doctor says. And so any anything alternatively, she would go seek her doctor and she's like, oh, I don't recommend that. And so she would, that would be the end of the story. Yeah. And so it's been this long and she's never gotten better. She's still, you know, exceeded her weight and, and you know, she still has all these ailments. And so after a while, I just stopped making suggestions because I knew she wasn't going to change her mind. And then it's just, some people are just like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad. It, yeah. It, it, it's really hard. Cause you want to help people. Um, I, I have something similar where people are like, Oh, you know, nothing's working. I'll be like, Oh, well, did you, and, and I'm that person. Oh, did you try this essential oil? no, my doctor says those things don't work. And then they go and spend four hours doing research. And I'm like, well, all these articles say this and they're bad. And I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you why those articles only took bits and pieces of the truth. Nope. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to keep taking my Tylenol or whatever medication. I'll be like, okay, like, I'm not here to force you to do anything. I can give you the information. Um, what you do, what you choose to do with it. That's completely on you. Yeah. And like, my wife, she had a really bad um, <clears throat> sinus infection. And so she goes to a doctor and they give her this medication. I was like, what the hell is this for? And <clears throat> I, 
it had the the word sewn was at the at the end of it. I can't remember the name of it, but it was prednisone, like prednisone type of medication. And she took one dose, and her eyes were just bloodshot red and puffy. And I was like, oh, that's just like my mom's reaction. I'm like, stop taking it and demand antibiotics. I'm like, I know it's not good for your gut health, but it's just temporary. Let's because we both know that it works and it gets rid of the 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 nasal. Some uh, listen. Not all pharma is bad people. Sometimes you ha- like, I'm not demonizing it. I'm just saying, don't run to it for every cough, sniffle, whatever. Like, right. I understand antibiotics are necessary. Sometimes you're never going to hear me say, oh, you went on antibiotics. How dare you? Like, I'm not that person. <laughs> like, I understand they're needed sometimes. It's okay. But she had to go back and, and spend another $150 and demand that they give her an, an antibiotic. And then she took it and a couple of days later, she was fine. But that uh, that initial reaction to that prednisone that they gave her was just like horrific. I was like, oh my God, you can't take this anymore. It's going to kill you because yeah. the, the reaction was so obvious and blatant so quickly that I was like, you can't take this anymore. I mean, like the, you couldn't even see her pupils anymore because they were so black and there was blood in her eyeballs. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. But I, and I bet you because of that reaction, it's probably in her chart. Hey, don't give her this medication. But if she ever decided to get any type of vaccine, it would never be listed in her chart that she had a reaction. Mm. And they're both pharma products. Yeah. That bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, if I, I have an injury, I'll definitely just go to ER and yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you break a bone, please go to the hospital. Like, you know, I think I, I maybe even said this on your show too. Like if I heaven forbid I ever get hit by a car again, please take me to a trauma bay, like, and get me fixed up. But then I don't want narcotics. Like I'd rather use natural means. Like I, Western medicine has its time and place. It is absolutely great in certain circumstances, but a lot of diseases, high cholesterol, diabetes, things like that. That's our fault. That's what we eat. That's our environment. So, yeah. and a lot of people don't want to hear that. So. I don't even like to take Advil unless the pain is like so excruciating. Yeah. You know, otherwise I'll go as long as I possibly can. And because my, my pain, to- pain tolerance is pretty high. Yeah. Especially now. Like, cause I, I realize after my injury that it's really mostly in my head and I can tolerate a lot more pain than, than I think I'm used to, you know, that I can handle. Just be careful with that. Cause I'm the same way. And sometimes it can get you in trouble. Like yeah. when I uh, had my ovarian cyst, it like had ruptured oh. and um, I was just like, no, I'm fine. I, I, I'll be fine. I was bleeding internally. And yeah. So um, having a high pain threshold is good in certain circumstances and also can be really, really bad in others. So just be careful. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty severe. <laughs> Listen, I'll have to tell you. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a regular headache. That's for sure. No, no, no. But it was great talking to you. I loved all the different places that we went in this conversation. Um, so the reason I don't love scripting, scripting things, because if, you know, I would have told you that we would have ended up from talking about how you met your wife and her crazy manager to pharma (laughs) and what you did for your podcast now, like I couldn't have scripted this shit and I love it. Um, but if they are interested in your podcast, where can they find you? I know you mentioned it once, but I want all the links and I will of course also put them in the show notes. 
Um, you can pretty much find my show. Like, uh, I think it's under KGP Presents on YouTube. We're also on Rockfin for the for the censored stuff. Good. Sometimes it just gets really dicey, and I can't put it, you know, on YouTube yeah. because of censorship. And then um, you can hear my podcast uncensored anywhere on where you can find podcast shows. So iTunes, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, where you name it. Around there, Spotify, can, all those things, yep. Yeah, so, and also you can find everything. Uh, listen to the radio station, listen to music at kgup1065.com. And uh, yeah, the music format, it, it, it's pretty much the same. I mean, I still look for, you know, music that uh, is not mainstream. So um, that's what, it, that you know, even, even now, I mean, we still have a lot of listeners. So um, yeah, it it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of months too. So it's gaining more popularity again. So awesome. I'm, I'm awesome. thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all we're always thankful for when you go out and support your podcasters and your radio stations and your small businesses and your local farmers and people like that. So yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. It, it was truly an honor, and it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it was great to talk to you again, too. Thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to make it work out. Yeah, for sure. So thank you, everyone, again, for joining another fabulous episode of Speed Bumps. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.